Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? If you're watching from other campuses, just want you to know we're so glad you came. And if you're watching online, we love you too. So thank you all for being here. But mostly I'm excited about you guys here. Uh, No, not really. I like everybody equally. But anyway, it is awesome to be back in Waukesha. My roots in Waukesha go a ways. I actually went to medical school at a medical college in Wisconsin back in the 90s when NSYNC was big. And um, that's when I went to church under the leadership of Pastor Guy. Can you believe it? And so what's cool is that when they asked me to come speak, uh, he didn't necessarily know what I'm doing now. Like we lost touch. And so it's been really fun to reconnect. Uh, it's, uh, God is doing so much here at church to see that. And with that in mind, I, uh, uh, we're going to be in our Bible in a minute. If you have your Bibles to Mark, Mark chapter 4. And let me know if there's anything I'm doing here with the mic to mess it up. Denise, by the way, are you guys good with this? Do you need to change it? Okay, we're good. Is it going in and out? Is it just me? Maybe my brain is wired up wrong this morning. Nine o'clock people are most godly, right? I mean, the Saturday night people are sort of like the lazy guys. They want to get out of the way sleeping on Sunday. The later people are sleeping, but you guys, you're the serious Christians. And so it's always fun to be here. We are going to get into God's word in a minute. I uh, now still practice medicine, uh, but I do it now in the context of telehealth. I actually trained to be pediatric emergency medicine physician. I did that for about 15 to 16 years and stepped away because the ministry that God has uh, given to me has grown to where uh, I started traveling more, um, started doing a lot of Bible resources, uh, have uh, biblical truths for everyday life, but sort of our and uh, over the course of the years, the Lord sort of transitioned our work to do two things, discipleship, writing, speaking, that sort of thing here in the United States. And then overseas, uh, we do work with Syrian refugees. So the Lord has taken me back to my home country. My family actually moved from uh, war-torn Beirut back in the 80s. Uh, well, the war started in the 70s, so I grew up sort of in the Civil War. And I, uh, the late 80s, we ended up moving to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and... Uh, Maine's home. I really think there's something wrong with this, guys. So I don't know. Can somebody do a quick switch? Uh, I don't mind waiting. We can just talk about the Packers for a minute. So I was in Wisconsin. Uh, during, I went to medical school, by the way, 1992 to 1996. You know what happened in 1996? Yeah. Under the leadership of then Brett Favre. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Awesome. All right. We go here. Do I need to turn this on? Awesome. Praise the Lord. I love that. You guys got to give me that minute back. I refuse to be dulled by that, man. This is the service I need to be done on time, too. And they're like, you got to speak for 25 minutes. That's never happened before. So, Lord, help us. Thank God I'm Lebanese. By the way, this intensity, it's the Lebanese. So if you don't understand what I'm saying, just, like, be like, does anybody speak Arabic in the room? Anyone? You can just, like, translate, speaking in tongues up here. It's, uh, this is not, like, this is honestly just me in every venue. And if you've met any Arabs, we're all alike. We all sort of sound alike. But nonetheless, I, I've thought about this 25-minute mark, and I'm like, Dude, look, we don't need a long service. What we need is a long movement of the Spirit, don't we? And so whether the service lasts 10 minutes or 85 minutes is a moot point. Really, we're here because we expect God to do great things. And so let me ask the Lord to bless this time together. God, we thank you that you are in control even now, Father. There are people here for the first time, maybe here because we're speaking about fear and anxiety. And Lord, we just now offer this 25 minutes to you. 
Oh God, you accomplished so much in three years. You can do so much in such a short amount of time because it's who you are. And so Lord, we now look to you for freedom, for healing, for leadership, for wisdom. Revive us, God. Help us to see more clearly who you are and what you wanna do in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to just read you a short section of scripture. Mark is one of the gospels uh, that uh, recounts the story, and it, the story itself is written in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which means those are the gospels that sort of tell the same story in a lot of different angles. And in Mark chapter 4 is the story of Jesus being in a boat with the disciples in a storm. And the storm in life is uh, actually very familiar to many of us, though we might not be in a boat this morning going into a Sea of Galilee situation, we all are living through some storms in our lives. You might be here, in fact, I'm thinking even about the statistics on fear and anxiety today, and it's, uh, without boring you with numbers, it's high. Like, you don't have to be a genius, you don't have to be uh, 18 years of age or, or older to understand that we are dealing uh, with the concept of mental health problems and fear and anxiety like never before. And so, uh, I think in this room, the reality is that there's two groups of people. There's those of us who are afraid, and there's those of us who are lying about it. At the end of the day, there's a spectrum, right? And so there might be people in this room who are on medications, and you're still afraid. And there are others who are not, and we're also afraid. And so a lot of this is on a spectrum, and I understand that. And as I've grown in my understanding of sort of spiritual things and medical things, I, I, I see that the issue isn't so much medical as it is how we as Christians relate to God in the midst of wherever we are in that spectrum. And so what I love about God's Word is that every story that's recounted is there for us for a reason. And, and, and every story can be tell us about Jesus, but it also helps us to see in our own lives how this translates. And so what I'm going to do today is read you a few verses of an account that happened with Jesus and his disciples that will really help us draw some principles of how we can get through the storms in our lives. Those are the storms, by the way, that lead us to be afraid. Generally, when you're afraid, it's because something happens. You hear news that you didn't expect. You run into someone that you didn't want to see. Something happens in your life, whether it's professional or personal or relationship or health-wise, that makes you shake in your shoes. It happened to me last night. Even after being here and teaching on this, every one of us will face those storms. The question is, what do we do with those storms? And so in Mark chapter 4, in verse 35, the story goes like this. On that day, any particular day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
I was in Jordan before I started working with um, the Syrian refugees. It was my first taste of working with the refugees back in 2015, 14, 15. I had just uh, left a, a church that I was a very, very vividly involved with. And I left because of some toxicity in the leadership. So I was one of those statistics of people that you read about who leaves a church that eventually imploded. And, and I left in the part of the implosion before it was known to everybody else. So it was a really awkward few years where I was in ministry. I had dedicated my life to serve the Lord in ministry. And, and now I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. And in that context, God opened the venue for me to go to the Middle East. By the way, the only reason I went was because I was no longer serving in the capacity that I had been in that church, it's always a reminder to me that what we often see as a storm or a disaster ends up being a venue of God redirecting your life to something that might be on his agenda that you haven't even thought about. And so I went to Jordan with a friend, and, and, and it was my first time going to this area outside of Amman called Mafrak, where a lot of the refugees had arrived, and there was a big uh, camp where they were, and you couldn't go into the camp without papers from the UN, but there was also left refugees everywhere else in the city. And so it was a very, honestly, dark and heavy and oppressed place. And, and, and like, you know, if you've ever traveled anywhere and you show up to a hotel, like there's always that moment of reckoning. Like most of us aren't staying at like Four Seasons or Ritz, right? Because if you go there, you're always like, ooh, this is even better than I imagined, right? But us, we're like, you know, you show up and you're kind of going like, what are these surroundings? Well, if you go to a place like Mafrak, uh, that is known to harbor, you know, all the refugees that are walking across, you know, the land to get there. Uh, let me just tell you, the Airbnb that we landed in was not a five-star Four Seasons. And so I'm with a group of Christians, and, and we, the women were separated from the men. Apparently, we had different accommodations. And so we were taken to this apartment that was, like, one of the worst places that I've ever stayed in. And it's funny now. I look back, and I think, you know, like, we've all stayed in bad places. Like, it's not a big deal. But it was it was scary because it was an environment that we weren't used to. And in the middle of the night, we were, the team was up sort of, you know how you are when you're in a new place and you're holding the sheets and kind of going, I hope nobody comes in and attacks us tonight. And, and, and it's funny now because we're like seven years later and I've been working with refugees all these years and I think like, what could they do, right? But we're sitting there nervous in our outside of environment. And, and one of the team members said to me in the middle of the night, she's just, we're talking and, and worrying. And she says, even the winds and the waves obey him. And ever since that time, this passage of scripture has meant so much to me because it was like the peace of God just fell over us. See, what's happening in the story? I want to just unfold three uh, things or three lessons that you need to know about the storms in your life, whether you're in an environment that you never expected to be in that's causing you grief, or maybe you are in a four seasons and, and your life just doesn't look like you expected it to be. There are three things that we glean from the story, and the first is this, the storm in your life exposes the fear in your heart. Think about it. What comes out of your mouth when you're in a storm shows where you're at emotionally. And so 12 disciples are with Jesus, and it's fascinating to me because I, 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 you, know, you read scripture stories over and over again, and every time you read them, you sort of think more deeply about them. And, and, and I'm amazed that 12 disciples are in the boat, struggling in the storm, and Jesus is asleep on the stern, and not one of them punches the next and says, hey, dude, why are you so afraid? Jesus is asleep. Like, every one of them is afraid. Every one of them. Not one of them said, guys, stop working so hard. We had Jesus on the boat. He'd already been ministering with them for months. It was still early in the course of the ministry, but long enough for them to have seen him change water into wine, 
heal a leper and a paralyzed man. Like they've, they'd seen him. Remember the guy who came through the window? If you watched The Chosen, you probably are very familiar with all these stories now. But remember they make a window hole and they bring in the guy and he heals him. Like they've already experienced that about God. And now they're in a storm and not one of them stops each other and says, you know, guys, I think we're, our worry is a little out of proportion here for who we have in the boat. Do you know what they asked? The very question that comes to our hearts and our mouths when we're afraid. They woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I've heard Jill Briscoe teach and says there's three questions that every Christian will wrestle through. If you're a Christian or if you're a non-Christian, I think you've probably asked these questions. The first one is, God, are you there? The second one is, God, do you care? And the third is, God, is this fair? Every one of us in our lives has been in this place where we wrestle with that. And so it's the storm that usually gets us to the place where it's like a diagnostic test that reveals what's in our hearts. I remember the first time I went through a big crisis with God. I was finishing my residency in pediatrics and I had met a guy, we had gotten engaged, and two weeks before the wedding, we decided to end the engagement. That's a storm, if I've ever had one. The worst part of the storm was that I thought God would bring about another relationship that would lead to marriage. By the way, I'm still single. And, and, and God engaged later on, so the saga continued. I wrote a book about it. You can get it online on Amazon. But nonetheless, I was reeling in the aftermath of not just the broken engagement, but the fact that God did not do what I thought he would do in the other situation. That was a storm that tested my faith in God. And the first thing that comes to our mouths when this happens is, God, why are you allowing this? I went through that storm and I remember sort of thinking, coming out of it like making it, you know, and feeling like, okay, God, we're on good grounds. Out of that experience, God led me into this life of ministry. I practiced medicine during the day and did ministry at night. And then a few years later, I went through that big crisis. By the way, we all go through turbulence. We can handle turbulence. And there's storms and there's storms, right? I mean, sometimes we can like look at life and like, I can handle this stuff. God, I don't need you to intervene. You know, right now I got this. But then you get the big storm, the earthquake, the 7.9 earthquake that brings these, I think that was that kind of storm when I left that church a few years ago. And even though I had learned the lesson of God's faithfulness and his goodness years ago, I found myself back in the place where I was like, God, are you there? Why aren't you doing something about my pain? The storm reveals what's in your heart. You can be a follower of Jesus and still not trust him very much. A lot of us talk a big talk. We show up to our quiet time. We read our Bibles every day. But if you really dig deep, it doesn't take more than a storm for 12 of the disciples to be shaking in their boots, waking up Jesus, who has just done umpteen miracles. We just read about a few. Think about how many more they saw. I just can't believe how would this God allow us to go through this? Say, what was Jesus' stance here? Well, he wasn't surprised by any of it. Think about it. When, he, when they wake him up, he doesn't yell at them. For I mean, Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night? Think about it. First thought is annoyance, right? Like, why are you waking me up? Everything's fine, right? Even moms who love dearly their kids. It's like you hear the baby crying. You're like, really? How dare you disrupt my sleep? Like, give me another hour. But Jesus doesn't get mad. In fact, his response is quite the opposite. First of all, it's like he knows. He's already seen it coming, right? He 
automatically, he says, he, says, he looks at this, he says, he woke and he rebuked the wind. He did not need a memo. He did not need a, like Twitter updates, what's happening in the world. Oh my goodness, there's a storm. Like he knows what they need. And he stops it. Peace be still. One word, it stops. See, what's happening here? First, we talked about how the storm in your life exposes a fear in your heart. The second big idea is this, the storm in your life is there for a purpose. Whose idea was it to get into the boat in the first place? It was Jesus's. We're told very clearly in all of the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of the same story. And by the way, not the only time Jesus would lead them into a storm. It happened another time when Peter walked on water. That's a different story. But here we see it was Jesus's idea who says, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross to the other side. And so he puts them in the boat, knowing what would happen, because Jesus knew all things. He was fully God and fully man. Keep that in mind as you're reading the story. We weren't talking. We're going to see in a minute the full purpose of the story. But even in that moment, he knows what's coming. And he gets them in the boat, and he's asleep on the cushion. Here's what I notice. God is never unaware of the storm that we're in. He led us there. That can sometimes be a hard pill to swallow for some people because we feel like, God, I've done my part. Why aren't you doing yours? We feel like we've been good Christians. We feel like we've tried to obey as best we could. We feel like, God, I showed up to church. I journaled. I did everything you wanted me to do. And you pay back your people this way? There's a reason for the storm that you're in. God led you to it in order to reveal what's in your heart and to draw you closer to him. We're going to see in a second the, 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 the tipping point of this miracle. But hold on for a second. God is just not just unaware of the storm you're in. God is also unaware. God is never unaware. Sorry, two negatives. God is never unaware of the fear that you feel. He longs to free you from it. God knows that we're going to be scared. It's why, if you've been to church, you've heard it a million times, 365 times in the Bible, God says, do not fear, right? I mean, everybody loves these statistics, as if these statistics are going to magically cure us from all fear and anxiety. But it is a reminder, ironically, as I'm thinking about, you know, this concept of fear this week, it's funny how the Holy Spirit works. Like, everything I was getting in my in my in social media feeds was about fear, you know. Even yesterday, I chuckled. My sister-in-law sent us a, uh, a little, you know, little thing, whatever it is, like a little spoofy thing. I click on it, you know, always beware when somebody from your family sends you something to click on, but I clicked on it anyway. And, and there's this preacher that was making a big fuss about the number 23, because we're in 2023, and he's saying how number 23, and maybe you've heard it or seen it, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool, but I also chuckled because he was saying how every time you see the number 23, God is with you, because Psalm 23 says, you know, he knows your head to oil. If you walk through the valley of shadow of death, he's with you. And, and then he referenced another 23, Matthew something 23. I wrote it down. Actually, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, Matthew 1.23, he calls his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then he was like, Matthew 18.23, where two or three are gathered, there he is with you. And it's like, woohoo, we're living in 2023. It's all great. Like, we think, like, that's going to save us from our fears? What about Leviticus 23? Most of you are like, well, Levy, what? It's a book of the Bible. Like, what do you do when you've got a 23 that says something else? Like, you're going to be cursed. You're an abomination. We're not trusting in a number. 
The fear in our heart can only be destroyed by the love of a savior. While verses, why, why is there strength in verses? Why the Christians, I printed out yesterday uh, all of the verses that have to do with fear and it was multiple pages and I was gonna read through them or think through how to integrate them and I, I was like, look, what is the power of a verse? Why do we memorize scripture? Why do we tell each other, read your Bible every day and pray? It's not because there's something magical, like, oh my goodness, I've got this great verse. Sometimes this is how we do our quiet time. Like we look until we find that verse. <gasps> I found it, all's gonna be good. He says, all things work together for good. Okay, my quiet time's done, I'm, I'm moving on. We're, we're not looking for formulas. We're trying to connect with the savior of this world who created this entire universe with a word. In six days, God Almighty spoke this entire universe in existence. You're like, you're a scientist and you believe that? You betcha. I've yet to hear a better analysis of this world and the pain and suffering that we're seeing than that there's a God who loves us so much that has set in motion a plan to save us through Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God Almighty. So that one day, if you put your trust in today, if you are struggling with fear and anxiety, there will be a day where you will never again fear ever again. See, so what about the next 20, 30, 40 years? I'll tell you, with every passing year of my life, I realize how short this life is. I am 50 now, almost 51. I made a joke last week about the fact that your pastor is still alive. He's a lot older than I am. I made a joke last night, it went over their heads, you know the Saturday night folks. I was like, I ran into the spirit of pastor guy in the hallway. <laughs> He's still around. It's going so fast. If you're here and you're 15 or 20, you think, man, I got my whole life. Listen, you blink, it's gone. I remember my mom used to say that and I used to chuckle like we just thought we were so much smarter. And yet here we are, Gen Xers. If our only hope in this life is to be freed for a few years from our anxiety, then we are of all men and women most miserable. There has to be more. What God promised through Christ is more. When he said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly, he did not mean that 5,000 square foot house with the car and the boat and the vacation in paradise. He meant more, he meant life in Christ. He meant eternity forever with the King of Kings who can do all things, who speaks and the winds and the waves obey him. He promised us so much more than you and I want to settle for. I've been thinking about this. Do you know that the worst thing that can happen, worse than even making it to the other side of the ocean or, or Sea of Galilee, whatever that sea is, worse than making it through the storm is making it through the storm without Jesus. There are people all over the United States who are making it much better than many Christians. But to what end? I've yet to sit in a room of a patient or talk to them on the phone who is dying or hurting and come up with a better answer than that we have hope and eternity and joy and freedom and a person bigger and better and kinder and more forgiving and more compassionate than Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're struggling with fear and anxiety, listen, I don't care if you're on medications, you've been on them since you were two, 
and we see plenty of two-year-olds put on medications. I don't care if you've been off meds and need to be. I don't care if you don't need it and never struggled with anxiety in your life. Listen, we desperately need a savior who is not asleep in the boat as we've accused him to be, but is very aware of every emotion we're feeling and longs to free us from it. God is not afraid of the things that you and I are afraid of. He's not afraid of cancer. He's not afraid of your kids struggling with their identity and sexuality. He's not afraid of your secret sin. He's not afraid of the things that you and I are afraid of. He's not afraid of the disaster of a marriage that you're living in. He can heal it all, but he wants you to understand that better than healing the thing you're waiting on is trusting him, the healer of all things. Do you understand that? The storm in your life is there for a reason. And lastly, the storm in your life is an invitation for you to worship the Savior. Almost every miracle that I've taught on in the past two years, I've seen this theme repeat. I don't know why I never paid attention earlier in my Bible teaching days. But I see it all over the scriptures. You come to the other side of a miracle and you expect, I mean, think about it. If you were in a, in a turbulence or you were in, I mean, it happens to us all the time. We get on a plane and there's turbulence and some our episodes are worse than others. And if we, I mean, everybody gets a little bit nervous. I don't know about you guys, but like I hang on to my seats. I was one time, I wasn't even on a plane. One time I remember being in California during the fires and we're driving in a bus. I was with my parents back 20, 30 years ago. And we went through the fires of California. Like literally I could feel the flame and people who didn't know Jesus were like in the bus going, Jesus, help us, help us. And I remember getting to the other side and most of us think like, like we get to the other side and we're just so happy to be on the other side. And so you see these, these disciples now they've woken up Jesus they've seen him stop this storm so that there is now peace and do you know what their response is they were filled it says in verse 41 with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him instead of being in awe at the miracle they got it they were in awe at the miracle maker. It happens over and over again in scripture. We think the highlight of the story is, this, is the waves and the seas and the, and the winds stop, but the highlight of the story is that God Almighty is in our midst. Is that sitting in the boat, they, they realize, they recognize in this moment, this is not a man like us. He may look like a man, he's, you know, he has the flesh and body of a man, but he's more than a man. This is the Savior. Do you see it? We think, man, if you're single here today, you think, if I just get married, all my problems will go away. If you're married, you think, if my husband or my wife, whatever, you know, it would change. All my problems would go away. You think if your kids would listen to you, all your problems will go away. You just, we have this agenda of what we think will make us happy. But the invitation in the storms of our life is to answer this question, who then is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. Think about the storms in your life as we're coming here to an end. The Jesus difference is that even the winds and the waves obey him. In our midst is a God, you know, sometimes we come to church and we miss the fact that Christ is in our midst. 
You know, it can be like, we can kind of get to thinking like God is way up there and we're way down here, but, but, but can you live in a moment here for a moment in the awareness of God's presence with us? If you're a Christian, he's living in you. The promise is when you give your life to Christ, Christ comes and lives in you. Can you live in awareness of that for a moment as you consider, I'm gonna ask you now as we close that you bow your heads and close your eyes for a meditative moment. I want you to think about the storms in your life. The storm, usually it's one big storm. Maybe it's a relationship in your life that has beaten you. The waves are striking the boat and you're exhausted trying to make it. Just as your eyes are closed and your head's bowed, just think about that for a moment. Who do you consider Jesus to be? Is he a God way up there who's punishing you for your past sins? If you're still holding on to that view of Christ, that is not the Christ of the Bible. Christ on the cross paid the penalty for all of your sin, past, present, and future. Who then is this? Is the invitation to you as you think about the storm and your response to the storm? Do you see God up in heaven, far removed from your life, busier with those who may seem more important than you? You couldn't be more wrong. Throughout the Gospels, we see the image of Jesus tending to downcast, the marginalized, the ones that nobody else wanted to be with. We see that Jesus. He left heaven to come to earth so that you and I would experience the joy of knowing him so intimately. And that very storm that you're thinking about is your invitation to a deeper, closer more intimate walk with him. As you think about your storm, you may see nothing but your need. I recently wrote a chapter in a new book and I talk about how need has been my Achilles heel. We hate to feel needy in the United States. And yet God's very invitation is for us to be so needy that we get to a point of utter dependence on this God who is able to do what we cannot do, this Jesus who can still the waves and the winds. Do you know there wasn't a chance of the disciples drowning that day because God's purposes for his people was not yet accomplished? Christian, if you're thinking about those things as your eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask you in a minute to raise your hand if you would like me to pray for you. In fact, do it now. I just want to pray for our eyes to be opened. I was going to say, pray for healing, yes. Pray for answers, yes. Pray for miracles and breakthrough, yes. But pray, more importantly, that God would open our eyes to his nearness and his presence and his goodness. If that's you, Christian, you just need prayer through the storm in your life. Nobody's looking around, please. Just raise your hand for a minute. I appreciate that all over the room. And God, even now as I pray, I think about my own life and my own need and my own brokenness. And God, I'm so grateful now as I think about those areas of need as much as I hate them. I'm so grateful. Because God, I've seen and understood and and know in my life that I'd rather stay in the storm with you than get to the other side without you. And yet, God, we do long for healing and peace and breakthrough, so help us to see how you give us that. Your presence, your, Jesus, you're the Son of God, you're everything. Help us to understand that this very moment, even if nothing else changes in our life, having you 
is our peace. So God, do what you think is right. Heal where you think healing is necessary today. Delay when you think it's best for us. God, do what you think is right. We love and we worship you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, the invitation is also for you. I mentioned in a reading in one of the earlier verses that the boat of the disciples was not the only boat in the sea that day. There was many other boats there. They didn't have Jesus with them. They were the beneficiaries of Jesus being in the boat with the disciples, but the invitation for you, if you don't know Jesus, is to receive him into your hearts today. Jesus came to die for all people. For God so loved the world, that includes everyone, that includes you. If you're here and you're like, man, he can't mean me, like nobody even knows me. I sit in my basement all day, like no one talks to me. Yes, you. If you're sitting in your seat going, I'm not, I'm not even, you don't even understand, I'm not even live with you guys. I'm too ashamed to show up to church. Listen, the invitation is for you too. All people, all people, doesn't matter what your color is, it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your sex is, God loves you so much, he gave Jesus to die for you. I sit over there on, waiting for the service to start and I see this big old cross here and I think, how, why would a savior do this for us? gives his life for us and in that moment all of our sins are forgiven all he asks is that we receive him does it seem too easy what do you need to walk on coal to beat yourself up a little to feel better about forgiveness listen he gives it to you grace is free and it's ours What's holding you back from this unstoppable, unexplainable love? If you're here and you want a part of this love, can I pray with you? Would you raise your hand if you don't know Jesus and you want to receive him today, whether you're here in this space with me or watching on TV. So maybe you're not even watching while we're doing this live stream. Maybe watching it later. Listen, or if you're in another campus, just raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus in your heart today. I'm going to pray in a minute and I'm going to just ask you to pray in your heart the same things. Look, you, know, you don't even need to raise your hand. The raised hand is a sign. But the interaction is between you and God. It's not us praying that saves us. Salvation happened through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Prayer is our accepting the invitation. God said, for as many as received them, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. So I'm going to pray with you now, if that's you, God. We feel this brokenness now. We feel this moment of reckoning. And so God, I pray with these who have raised their hands or nodded their heads or acknowledged their need. If you're here and you're praying that, just say something like this, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself, Lord. And so God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for my sin. I believe it. I believe it as much as I believe the sun will rise in the morning. I believe it. 
And God, I want to receive you into my life, into my heart. Would you please come into my heart to stay? Would you please forgive me all of my sins? And would you please help me to live for you from now and forevermore? In Jesus' name. If you're praying that prayer right now, know that God hears the words of your heart. He knows your thoughts even before you say them. Whether you know Christ or are coming to know him today or are still to know him in the future, even if you have decided you'll never give your life to Jesus, can I just assure you, friend, that you are deeply, deeply loved. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,